I think we've, we've heard a lot about being attentive to the Spirit over the past several weeks. And really, honestly, when I think back to the last couple of years, um, what we've been working through is we've actually been working towards trying to be more attentive to the movement and, and just to, to the voice of God. And, uh, and so what we want to do is not necessarily get more theory, but we want to get more practice. We know a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right? We're, we're a pretty smart church. Honestly, when I, when I look at, uh, at you, I think this is, these are people who have, have walked with the Lord. They have studied his word. And we're never complete in our understanding of God's word. We've got to keep doing theology. We've got to keep building our doctrine. That, that's true. But we have received a lot. This room represents many years and much, much work of the Spirit in preparing a people for himself. And so, uh, and it also represents many streams of movements of the Spirit coming together in one place, which is pretty amazing when you think about that as well. So we want to work more on our practice. What does it look like for us to live in light of the gospel? What does it look like for us to be more attentive to the Spirit, right? To, to, to really do it. Not just to talk about it, not just to think about it, but, but, but to really walk by the Spirit. And I'll, I'll give you just a little testimony for me. Uh, you know, I, uh, Pastor Dwight may or may not remember this, but uh, before we even brought the churches together into one new church, we had, um, we were meeting together on a pretty regular basis to pray, because you pray about stuff like that, you know. Um, and we were just becoming friends as well. That's, that was a part of it. We just wanted to get to know each other better. And one day, uh, Pastor Dwight brought a word to me, and, and, he, and he said, and I wrote it in my journal. I could go back to it, I, but I remember it. He said, you know, he said, Nick, I think you're, you're a more, um, you're, you're a more, I think the word was reflective person than you allow yourself to be. And, and I'm a little bit of a, I'm a strategist by nature, so I think of all the nuts and bolts, and I draw maps. Uh, Pastor Dwight and Pastor Richard and Michael can give you a test to uh, give, give you a testament of that. Um, and if you go upstairs into the office I use and look at my whiteboards, you'll see I'm a nuts and bolts kind of a guy. I want to build things, and that's something the Lord has done in my life. But but the Lord has really been working on me the last couple of years to slow down my mind, and and so that I can. Th- Focus on him. And God doesn't want me to stop being a strategist and a church planter and all those things. But, but I've sensed that one of the things that God has been doing in my life was just to slow me down. And, uh, and that was one of the things that he's accomplished through uh, bringing our churches together and then also the spiritual direction you know, that I've been able to receive from Richard and Dwight and, and, and you know, others, Randy and Dennis Cole and some others in the movement that I've connected with. And and so some of those things have been, I mean, it's been a huge blessing to me. Well, last week I had, uh, I had a real experience with the Lord. Um, this was, was last week when we, I was at the assessment, I think. I, by now, my brain is just like starting to merge everything together from the last two months. It's been so busy. But I was at the church planters assessment down at Falls Creek. And, and, um, and, and just to kind of add some context to this, I've had... Um, uh, I mentioned this to our elders, but for me, it's kind of been the last couple of years, I've just felt like 
my brain's been a little cloudy, not, not in a bad way. It's not that I haven't been able to focus on what I need to do, but like some of the vision that I've had in the past just wasn't really there. I wasn't seeing um, the way forward and everything. And I, I, I didn't really know what that was about. I just knew it was probably the Lord saying, not yet, you know, so just to, just to be patient and keep working and, and doing what we're doing. And, and eventually I know Jesus builds the church anyway. So, uh, but, but I had this encounter with the Lord and, and, and I've had a couple over the last few months, and I felt like that cloud has been sort of dissipating. And uh, it was one of those times when it was a break. And, and just to explain kind of what this assessment is like, we work 16-hour days sometimes when we're doing the assessments. It's intense uh, because you're dealing with people's lives, and you want to make sure you get it right. Um, you don't want to tell somebody to go plant a church if they're not gifted and called. You know what I mean? Because it'll crush them. It'll destroy them. And, and sometimes you take a really good pastor and you put him in a church plant and it just crushes him. And then he's out of the ministry. And I've seen marriages fall apart. It's hard, it's hard work and it's spiritual warfare. And you've got to be called and, and you've got to be gifted in order to do the work. So we take it very seriously. We work really hard at the assessments, but they are long weeks. So when you get a, a two-hour break in the middle of the day while the, while the psychologist does some personality profiles with the people, you're really happy about those two hours. So I was just resting in my hotel room. And, uh, and for those of you who went to Falls Creek as young people now, let me just say, there's hotel rooms there now, <laughs> and they're actually nice. Anyway, we were, we're in the hotel, and... Uh, and I'm just resting, and, and I'm just sort of really doing nothing, just relaxing. And, and all of a sudden, like, I just heard the Lord. I mean, I just, it was like a clear picture of some things. I won't go into detail about them right now. Uh, we'll flesh them out over time. But, but I just got a really clear picture, and even words that, I, that, that just were like some vision and direction stuff for, for us and, and building the church and planting more churches in the future and and. and, and and, and I knew it was from him, and I wrote it down. It was, just, it was, it was so profound and so straight, straightforward, and it just was a light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh, okay, Lord, I see it. Okay, and, and, I used, and, and I used to have moments like that all the time, so fast that I would always be moving, and sometimes I was leaving people behind. Um, and, and, and that might be one of my tendencies as a church planting type of a, of a pastor. But, but, uh, but God has been, you know, reason I'm sharing that with you is because I'm seeing that God is flipping some lights on around us. We're seeing it. God has been speaking some really profound words to Richard. He's been speaking to Dwight and not only in, in our elders and all of us. We've, we've, there are several people whom it seems like the Lord has just been speaking some things to. He's preparing us and I believe he wants us to move with him where he's going. And so this morning, what we're going to be jumping into as far as the word is concerned, we're going to be in Galatians 5 again. We're going to be in verses 7 through 12. And, uh, and um, I, uh, this is a really interesting passage to me, and it follows where we've been. Now, I want to remind you of where we were last week. Last week, we ended with this verse, Galatians 5, 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision carries any weight. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. And that was kind of the central idea of what we looked at last week. We, and, and we defined, we understood that circumcision in this particular case was actually referring to any attempts to gain merit, to add merit to ourselves, 
to make ourselves righteous by doing good works. So you can add whatever it is that you find yourself, you know, your, your tendency to find fulfillment in something, for instance. Now, um, that, that is probably going to look different for a 21st century American than it did for a 1st century Jew, right? And, and the, kind of, the kind of twists on the gospel in our culture are probably going to look different than they did for Paul's. But it's still happening. We're still seeing it all the time. So these guys may have been preaching Jesus plus circumcision or, or law abiding. And today it may be Jesus plus prosperity. Or Jesus plus, you know, uh, being a really good person. Or, or Jesus plus being a really good American citizen is what's going to save us. Or whatever it might be. Jesus plus the new Mercedes that Richard was mentioning. I was thinking, man, that would be kind of cool, you know, especially one of those G-Wagons. See, I'm not your typical, I'm not like, give me the sports car. I'm like, give me the off-road behemoth. You know, that's, that's what I roll with. The title of today's message is The Offense of the Cross. And can I just say that the cross is very offensive to a culture that wants to justify itself? And that's always been true. It's what actually got Jesus crucified in the first place. The message of the cross has always been offensive. It will always be offensive to the world. That's why Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians, which we preached this quite some time ago now, but that... The word of the cross, or the word of the gospel is foolishness, right? It's foolishness to the world. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God for salvation. And so the big idea of today's message, and this is kind of what everything is going to hover around, is that Christ puts to an end, Christ's cross puts to an end all human striving to be fulfilled. And that fullness can only happen through faith in Jesus, which is more of a resting than it is a reaching. And we've talked a lot about that. And it doesn't mean that we cease to do good works. It just means that we work from a different place. So uh, yesterday was an interesting day in college football. Um, so for those of you, just this is a side note. For those of you who are Oklahoma State fans, I'm not going to mention what happened. I don't want to hurt your heart. So we're not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about, I don't want to break your heart today. But we are going to mention that the University of Oklahoma Sooners are 7-0 and for the first time since 2004, okay? Um, and it's hard to believe it's been that long, but I mean, um, and it was an incredible game. I listened to it on the radio. I really, I like listening on the radio. And, uh, but... But really, the, the score, the, the, the incredible game, all those things, weren't even the most significant thing that happened on the field yesterday. If you were watching or listening to the game, then you would have heard that the Sooner schooner went down. The schooner tipped over. Yeah, thank God everyone was okay. But, but, the, but the schooner... The schooner went, and now I would say that they were okay physically, although I imagine some egos were probably wounded in this process. But, uh, but the, I was listening to the, the uh, broadcast after the game, and they said that the probable cause for why the schooner tipped over was probably improper weight distribution. So, 
somebody done messed up. In other words, you know, didn't, like, it's not like it was a mechanical failure. They just weren't in there right, and the ground was kind of wet, and the schooner just went, you know. Um, and I thought that was pretty interesting. I was kind of thinking on that and, and how being out of balance can really throw things off, right? Isn't that interesting? Now, it's kind of funny to think about. I mean, it wouldn't be funny if someone got seriously hurt, but I mean, you know, the schooner, and, and that's just kind of a fun thing. But, but what about something that's a little more serious, right? What about our lives? When things aren't properly in balance, what can happen to us? You know that it's often true that we find ourselves crashing because we're out of balance. Any, I, 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 I won't necessarily ask for a show of hands because I imagine most of us have experienced this, but have you, have you ever experienced that kind of a crash? Your life was out of balance. And so, you, you know, you start gaining speed and all of a sudden you can't handle it and you turn over. You find yourself in a place of, of, of brokenness and, and that's not a fun place to be in. Uh, I have a really good friend who experienced a burnout a few years ago. I mean, a real burnout. Uh, uh, he was, he's a pastor, and me, pastoring is hard work, okay? It is difficult. Uh, we, we deal with a lot of things, and, and he was pastoring a fairly large church. He had a lot of responsibility on his plate, and he just didn't have any balance in his life. He was so focused on serving others and, and serving the church, and they were all good things, but he wasn't spending the time he needed to with his family. He wasn't taking time for silence and solitude with the Lord. And before you knew it, um, his life was totally out of balance, and he had a legitimate burnout that almost took him out of the ministry. And this is a great pastor. It is very, very easy for it to happen to any of us. And so we see in this picture Right, this silly picture of the Sooner Schooner going over because it was improperly balanced, it, it can remind us of something that is true and real, and that is that if any of us are out of balance, we are most likely headed for a crash. So I want to make a statement that I think will sort of set the stage for us to look at this passage, and that is that the good life is not something that we can build or achieve for ourselves by our own efforts. That will always lead to imbalance. When we try and build the good life, or whatever the picture of the good life is, we have, you know, <clears throat> all these magazines and TV shows and, uh, of, of what, what the good life is, you know? Let me tell you what it is. It's, it's Chip and Joanna and shiplap, you know what I mean? Like, that's the good life. If I could just shiplap my whole house, you know? Some, some people get that. I get it because I'm married to a woman, and she is into that stuff. You know, like me, I'm just, I'm like, hey, just put me in a white room, and I'm probably cool, you know, as long as I have a lamp and some books, and um, that's life. Yeah, I probably would actually have done well as a monk back in the old days, honestly, and some, except for I like people, but other than that, um, <laughs> but... But, I, you know, it's, it's, we're different, and we have different ways of relating and different things that we enjoy, different ways that we maybe try to find self-fulfillment. And this whole idea of receiving the good life or fulfillment or whatever we want to call it through faith is actually contrary 
to everything that the world would tell us. And most people have a hard time grasping this because it's just so different than what we're being sold by the world, the world's narrative. I mean, you know, turn on the TV, watch a few shows, and you'll see kind of what the world's narrative is. There's a common thread that, that flows through you know, most things in our, uh, in our culture. And some of those things are materialism, you know, like getting more stuff is what's going to make me more full. Or um, finding the right partner, right? Oh man, it seems like people today go through partners, they, they don't even get married anymore. They don't even bother that with that because they know they're just going to get divorced anyway. So, um, you know, they go through partner after partner trying to find fulfillment. And it doesn't really seem like it's working, if you ask me. But, but whatever it is, we're told that if you add this to your life, and if you add this to your life, and if you add this to your life, you'll finally be fulfilled. And every time we get that next thing, what we find is that we're just as empty as we were before. We just got more stuff. Or we just got another emotional wound. Or another thing to feel guilty about. It is the offense of the cross to the world in which we actually find freedom. The thing that's most offensive to the world about the cross is the most freeing thing to us. And we're going to talk more about that as we push through today. Okay, so, um, so I've got three, three points because I'm a preacher. I've got three points today. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and lay those out to you. One, the first one is that we cannot obey God except by faith. Um, the second point, the second place we're going to go is that departing from faith leaves us at odds with God. And the third is that the offense of the cross is freedom for us. So let's walk through these, and these correlate back to some of the verses. But I want to I remind us of a verse out of Romans 14.23. And in this passage, Paul's actually talking about meat sacrifice to idols, but he has this statement at the end of it. And he says, and anything that is done without faith is sin. We might need to stew on that one for a minute. Can we, can we, can we think about what, what Paul is saying to us there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He says, anything that you do apart from faith is sin. That is one of those statements like Jesus made, you know, like if you, if you look upon a, a, a person lustfully, you've committed adultery. It's one of those type of statements. If you've even been angry at somebody, it's like you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus says things like that, right? Like, now Paul is saying anything that you do that is without faith is sin. And we can go ahead and admit that we are sinning more often than we even imagined. You know, like with that definition of sin, I mean, I don't know. I mean, but let me just tell you guys, like I'm, I'm pretty sure that over the past week that I did several things without even realizing it that were faithless acts. And maybe some of them were good, but they're tarnished with sin because they were done without faith. It really changes the way that we think about things. So here, um, here in the first part of this passage, in fact, let's just read this passage, verses 7 through 12. Paul writes, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? 
This persuasion is not from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now, now this, this, is a, this is a hard statement here, but he says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Some strong language from the apostle here. But let's go back to verse 7 and let's, let's think about in verses 7 and 8, what, what do we see? Well, I think we see pretty clearly that we cannot obey God except by faith. It, it requires faith to obey God. And so um, at first, you know, we hear Paul say, hey, listen, you guys were running well. You were doing such a good job. What happened? The Galatians, they'd been taught well. They knew the truth. They understood the gospel. Paul had clearly laid out for them what it meant to live a Christian life by faith in Jesus. So they knew that. And, um, and, and this, is, this, is a, this is an important thing for us to ponder on, but God's requirement is that we live by faith rather than out of our own ability to do good. Now, uh, I think on the surface of that, like when we start thinking about that, that's, might, it might be a little troublesome for us if we think about we have to live by faith. Anything that we do that's not by faith is actually sin. I might be in trouble, <laughs> right? Anybody else feel that tension there? I mean, it's, it's a tension. The Galatians were doing a really good job at living a Christian life. They were living by faith until all of a sudden they weren't. But what threw them off? Well, um, Paul was pretty clear that they turned from grace and faith back to the law, right? They were, they, you know, they, they may have not made this turn completely. That's why this letter is sort of a warning. Hey, don't go down this road. But they were sort of considering and they were maybe making some, some just, just some little, some little trivial compromises, from the true gospel that they had received from Paul. Uh, Paul uses the race analogy here. Again, you know, he, he often talks about racing. He uses that analogy. And he says, you were running well. And then he says, who prevented you from obeying the truth? And so this idea is kind of like, like when you're running a race, or maybe we can think about a NASCAR, you know, you're driving a car, you're, and then somebody cuts you off. That's going to cause trouble, right? It's going to cause you some problems. Um, you know, maybe we can imagine Lightning McQueen flying around the track, you know? Um, great, great movies. Uh, so, but, but this idea of racing and then somebody sort of cuts them off and they're not ready for it and so it kind of diverts them. And that's kind of the idea here. Whoever this false teacher was, was bringing to them some information that wasn't in line with the true gospel and he'd cut them off and instead of responding properly to what was said, they sort of, they sort of went off a little bit. And they were heading on a trajectory that was going to wind up destructive. They, they had ceased to obey God 
because they had started listening to a voice that wasn't God and told them to live in a manner that was contrary to the true gospel that they'd received. Does that sound familiar to you? It's, it sounds familiar to me. I've heard that story before. In fact, I've been in that story before. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, right? What happened in the garden? They were doing a pretty good job, right? They were, they were, they were managing God's creation. They were walking with the Lord. It seemed like things were going so well until an enemy showed up and said, did God really say? I wonder how many Christians have been thrown off balance and had their lives crash because the enemy whispered in their ear, did God really say that? Did God really, hey, I'm, I'm, can I just, I'm just going to pick on some things in our society real quick. Did God really say that we're supposed to keep sexuality between a husband and a wife in a sacred bond of marriage? Our culture would, would say otherwise, because I think the devil's speaking into our ears and saying, hey, God, God didn't really say that. God, hey, God loves you. He wants you to be happy. So whatever, whatever makes you happy. The culture is perfectly willing to sacrifice happiness, or I mean, sorry, sacrifice holiness on the altar of happiness. Culture has no problem doing that. Hey, did God really say that you're to deny yourself and take up your cross? No. God really, he loves you. He wants you to have whatever you want, so pursue materialism. Gather for yourself as much stuff as you can. I think Billy Graham said it best when he said, you never see a hearse going to the cemetery with a U-Haul behind it. And yet so many people, we've rooted our lives in this world. So many Christians have listened to the lie that said, God, what God really wants for you is that you have more stuff and more toys and, and, and sexual fulfillment and, and the right spouse instead of the one you pledged your life to. And so you feel free to leave all that behind if it makes you happy. And you know what's happening is we are off balance and we are crashing. And our society is crashing because we are off balance and we're not walking with Jesus. And it's destroying us. And we are over here thinking that all these things are good and that, that all these things are going to bring us happiness and fulfillment and joy. And all they're going to do is bring us to a place of eternal separation from God if we don't repent. Listen, Jesus cares about you and me. He doesn't tell us to take up our cross because he wants to be a killjoy. He tells us to take, take up our cross because he knows that what this world is feeding us is poison. And that he's got to get us through this land full of full of mines, landmines, that, that, that if we step on them, it's going to blow our leg off. It's going to destroy us. And so he is just like he did for Israel in the desert. He's thrown up a pillar of fire, except it's the cross. You remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? Just as the serpent was raised up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that all might be saved through him. You, you realize the significance of that analogy? The serpent in the wilderness 
they made it because the people had sinned against God. They were being bit by poisonous snakes, and the Lord said, all right, make a snake, raise it up, and tell them to look at it, and if they look at it, they'll be healed. So what does that mean for us? Jesus says, I'm like the serpent that was lifted up in the, in the desert. Now you look to me to be healed. And the cross is up like, a, like, like the pillar of fire the Israelites followed. And Jesus says, if you keep walking to the cross, you're going to find your way to paradise in the presence of my Father. You're going to find fullness. You're going to find yourself restored. But, but the moment we start thinking, but, but that thing over there is really shiny. Um, Lord, I want to go after that for a little bit. And maybe we say something like, hey, listen, God, when I get old, I'll come back to you. But right now, I, I'm young, and I, I got to go get this stuff, you know? Like, I got to live my life. What a lie from the pit of hell to tell you that anything other than Jesus is worthy of your time and of giving your life to. We cannot obey God apart from faith. And everything the world is calling to us is telling us otherwise. But the question is, who are we going to believe? Will we believe God and the voice of the Holy Spirit, which is in us, right? The Spirit speaks to us. When we start to walk off the line, the Spirit will bring conviction and say, hey, that's not, that's not what you've been freed to do in Jesus. The Spirit wants to complete the work that he started in you. And, and make no mistake, he will complete the work that he began in you. He will. Even if you mess it up. That's part of the beauty of grace. But why do we want to go in a direction that might destroy us whenever we have the freedom to walk in the way of life? The second thing here, nothing... Uh, sorry, I'm going to... I'm just skipping to the next point. Uh, I do want to read this. Nothing throws our train off the track faster than moving from faith back to trying to earn goodness before God and others. And whatever that fulfillment looks like for us, again, it, it's, it's not the same as it was back then. We have a whole other list of things that we believe uh, will bring us fulfillment today. It's not really circumcision, in other words, or following the law in our culture. It's something different, but we have our own set of rules that we're being called to. I mean, I have literally heard, listen, I heard a story, and guys, this was a pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm still blown away that this story is true. This man, when he was younger, he received a supposed prophetic word, and in the word, the person said that God said that he was released from his wife. Now, let me tell you, whenever you have a so-called prophetic word that goes against the word of God that has been given to us, that is not a prophetic word from God. It may be from the enemy. But, but, but essentially, we hear this sort of message all the time. If it doesn't fulfill you and make you happy, you know, just go on. Walk away from your commitments. And, and it will destroy us. All right, let's move on. Departing from faith leaves us at odds with God. And Paul says here in verses 9 and 10, a little yeast makes the whole batch of dough rise. 
That's a profound statement in and of itself because what he's saying, it doesn't take much, does it? It doesn't take much yeast to make bread rise. And honestly, our fall away from God typically starts in trivial things. We start to compromise a little bit here, a little bit here. Martin Luther uh, once said that some faults grow into big faults. To tolerate a trifling error inevitably leads to crass heresy. The doctrine of the Bible is not ours to take or to allow liberties with. We have no right to change it, even a tittle of it. When it comes to life, we are ready to do, to suffer, to forgive anything our opponents demand as long as faith and doctrine remain pure and uncorrupt. The Apostle James says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend at one point, he is guilty of it all. Do we really want to go back to that standard? When Christ has set us free? And that's the question that we're being asked here. But the problem is, if we just mix a little bit of the old way in to the new way, it corrupts everything that we're doing. We start to find ourselves having unholy thoughts in the midst of holy things. We start to find ourselves questioning God. But amazingly, we can look to Jesus and see the example of a life entirely lived by faith. Christ never slipped once. What is impossible for us to do, Christ did 100%. Also, he did it as a man living by the Spirit. We need to be clear about that. We've got to remember, Christ wasn't holy simply in his God nature. He was holy in his man nature. And he was 100% man. It's hard for us to understand and grasp how Christ was God and man at the same time. But I, let me tell you that some of the powers that are Jesus' rights as God, he put on the shelf. He chose to be submissive to the Father. He chose to walk by the Spirit just like we walk by the Spirit. You ever notice that oftentimes it says the Spirit wasn't present for Jesus to heal at a particular time? Isn't that amazing? That means Jesus didn't heal at his own will. He healed when the Father told him to. Just like we do. And why did he do that? I think he did it to show us an example of what it's like for somebody to walk by the Spirit in human flesh. And to show us that it's actually possible. Now, it's impossible for us when we're still dead in our sins and trespasses. We can't do it. But it's possible for a person who's full of the Spirit and who's, the, who, who's had the, the bonds of sin and death broken off of them by the bloody cross and the empty tomb, and by faith in Jesus' name. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, like Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, now, sure, we have some obstacles to overcome. We don't have our resurrection bodies yet, but do you know that I, I 100% believe that we can live a lot more like resurrection people than most Christians live? Because we have the Holy Spirit. And Paul here talks about his confidence, right? He says, uh, he says, I am confident. Let me get I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. 
Confidence in the Lord. Where was Paul's confidence? The object of his confidence was resting not in the Galatians' ability, but in the God who indwells them. Right? He was confident in the Lord who is in them. That the Lord would do what the Lord said he would do. The Lord was going to bring about the things that he said. He knows that they had, run, they had, begun, they had began to run well. He saw that, that there was evidence that they had actually been full of the Holy Spirit, right? They had been filled. They had received the Spirit. Regeneration was there. They were new people. And now they were struggling. But it didn't mean that they hadn't actually received Christ. So if they had received Christ and they had the Holy Spirit, Paul knew that the Spirit was going to keep them saved and the Spirit was going to keep moving them forward. And so he was encouraging them, hey, listen, remember what you've received. Don't go back to this other way. And also he reminds us that at the end, no one will get away with corrupting the church. In this particular case, many scholars believe that the one that Paul talked about here was possibly a well-known disciple of one of the apostles. That this could have been a famous sort of Christian who was known in the church and who people thought had some sort of authority because of his relationship with the apostles. We don't know that for sure, but that's what a lot of scholars think the context here sets up. Because why else would Paul sort of say, hey, this person, whoever they are, doesn't matter how fancy they are or how gifted they are or how well, well thought of they are or, or how, how strong a speaker they are. Paul's saying if they're going off script of the true gospel, they're not worth your time. Don't listen to that person. And, and church, I would encourage you in the same way because there are many false teachers who have gone out into the world. And there are many who would grab a hold of you and try to use your devotion to Christ and twist you in a direction that is actually contrary to the gospel. And can I tell you that a lot of the most popular preachers on TV aren't worth their salt when you compare their doctrine to the scriptures. And I'm not saying this to be judgmental, because I can't judge whether or not they're in Christ, but I can sure judge their life and doctrine. Matter of fact, Paul calls us to judge within the church because we need to know. And it's our job as pastors, by the way, to protect you from that. And so I'm going to encourage you, just because somebody says, I come in the name of Jesus, doesn't mean you should accept everything that they say. We ought to sift through it with the word of God and make sure what we're hearing is actually lining up with the true gospel. And Paul was encouraging the Galatians here. Listen, this guy is preaching something false to you, so don't listen to him. It could have been a lady, too. I'm an equal opportunities guy here. Um, but uh, anyway, all right. The last point here is that the offense of the cross is freedom for us. And, and so listen to what he says. Now, brothers and sisters, if, if I am still practicing circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Let's focus on that. Now, the last part I'm not going to focus on much, the whole emasculation thing. Um, Paul, I think, was actually referring to being cut off from the church. He's essentially saying, I wish these people would go away. Stop messing with you. But here's what we are going to focus on. The offense of the cross is freedom for us. Those who walk the line of the true gospel are often the least respected people in the world. I mean, the apostles, every one of them, except for James, was martyred, or not James, but John, were martyred. And John spent years in exile, and 
Church tradition tells us he was boiled in oil and didn't die. I mean, there's just some nasty things that happened to these men. Jesus, our Lord, was crucified. Countless others who've to- who've, who have been champions of the gospel have been martyred for their faith. And I would, I would think I'd be making a safe assumption to say that probably today, this very day, someone will be martyred because they believe in Jesus. Somewhere in the world. Often people who bring the true gospel are not particularly popular. It's not always the case. There, there, there are sometimes when, when, uh, when good, you know, solid, the- theologically rooted, biblical, biblically grounded Christians you know, get some level of popularity. Billy Graham's a great example of that. But it's rare in the world. Paul points out here that he was being persecuted precisely because he was preaching the true gospel. And people really struggle with that. Like we talked about a minute ago, he called it the offense of the cross. Why? Because, here's why, because the cross is the end of all human striving for self-fulfillment. And it takes the emphasis off of us and puts it on Jesus. And we really like ourselves. You know what I mean? We're a very self-focused and self-centered world. And especially today, I mean, good mercy, um, we're counting the likes on Facebook and the followers on Twitter. And, and I mean, I've never been on Snapchat, but I know that I'm probably, I mean, there's probably something like that. You know, people, people today, we're so obsessed. We're so self-absorbed. And the cross, the cross tells us it's not about you. It's not about me. It's actually about Jesus. And so it's offensive. Now, we're not the first culture to be self-absorbed, and that's the point here. They were self-absorbed too, just in different ways, and the cross was equally offensive to them because it took the emphasis off of human striving and put it on Jesus. And we just don't like that. We like to be in control. You know, we like to be in control of our own destiny. I like to know I can build the life that, that will really fulfill me. I want to know that. But the reality is I can't, and you can't, and none of us can. And we're not in control of our own destiny. Matter of fact, the truth is that apart from the cross of Jesus Christ, we're toast. Like, probably literally, you know, like if you see the description of what, what hell is like in the Bible, I mean, it's not a good place, not a place you want to be in, and the Bible is pretty clear that apart from Christ, that is, that's where we're headed. But the reality is that in Christ, everything has changed for us. We may find ourselves struggling with the gospel in the part of us that is still rooted in this world, but the good news is that Christ has done everything necessary for us to be completely full and fulfilled. Now, here's how this is going to help us move forward into the, into the next few messages in this series, because we're about to get into this whole thing about life in the Spirit. And, and we mentioned this earlier, but understand that the cross of Jesus, his work on the cross, which absolves us of our sins, okay? Let's think about that for a minute. Even my failure to live by faith is covered by the cross of Jesus. Is that not amazing? Like, by God's grace, he grants us faith to believe, and once we're in Christ, even my failure to hold the line has been forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. The bloody cross and the empty tomb, as we talked about earlier, is absolutely the key that unlocks for us this new life that we have in Christ. So, 
I can walk by the Spirit. You know how I can walk by the Spirit? Because my sins are no more, and now the Spirit is present in me, and I can learn to walk in His ways. I am now free to live the, way, the ways of Jesus Christ in my life. I don't have to live according to the world's ways anymore. And that's why Paul looks at us and says, it's so silly if you think going back is actually moving you forward. You know what moves us forward? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. A few verses down from here. We'll see that. So, remember that actually in Christ it is possible to live a life of faith. And we know it because Jesus is the perfect example for us. But you may ask, how can I do it? Well, I just will give you a couple things. We can do it because Jesus' death and resurrection unlocks this new life for us in the Spirit. And he gives us the Spirit, as Paul also calls the Spirit, a down payment on our salvation. And then then the Spirit leads us into a life of faith. By faith we repent, that is to turn away from ourselves and to Christ. We believe the gospel message that Christ has indeed set us free from our sins by the bloody cross and empty tomb. And we walk in the newness of life being led by the Holy Spirit to actually live according to the truth of the gospel. Ultimately, I want to encourage you with this church, and this is what's so offensive to the world. It is Christ's work in us by the Spirit that is transforming us and not our attempts to make ourselves better. So, once again, the big idea of today, Christ's cross puts to end all human striving to find fulfillment. Fullness can only come through faith in Jesus. That is worth remembering. 